This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H. So this week, we are celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Day. And Martin Luther King Jr. was certainly known for his powerful speech that came straight from the heart. He spoke truth in a way that was gentle and respectful, but also very firm. So we can contrast that with the general tone of say, social media and or the editorial section of some newspapers these days. So we can see that we're in great need of higher quality um, public discourse. And even if we aren't orators ourselves, we can contribute to this movement of improving the, the speech in the public discourse by investigating our own speech which is going to lead us into our own mind. Uh, we'll be talking today about wholesome and unwholesome speech and where that comes from. And I particularly want to draw attention to the link between speech and mind uh, as a important element of our mindfulness practice. So I'll start with a, a story. One time I was standing at a bus stop waiting and I could not help but overhear some of the conversations that were going on uh, among the people around me at the bus stop. One of them was a young man who was on his cell phone and he was talking very loudly while walking around in kind of an animated way. And whoever he was talking to, he was going on and on about a work project that he was doing and also about um, some of his social life. Where in both cases, he seemed to be doing a lot of uh, gymnastics to make himself look good in various situations. And uh, the content was mostly about the future and about how he was going to control and manipulate it for his own purposes. And his particular style of speech included using um, profanity every sentence as kind of just like uh, spice words thrown in. So that was one thing that I was overhearing. And then I also uh, couldn't help overhearing a conversation between um, two women. Um, one of them was talking about, uh, they were both talking about a coat that one of them was wearing. And she explained with a smile that her roommate had accidentally brought this coat home from some event, thinking that it was her coat, you know, thinking it was the, the roommate, thinking it was her own coat because she had a similar one. But then when she got home, she discovered that her coat was actually at home and she had this extra one. So she gave it to her roommate and the woman was now wearing it. And as far as I could tell, there was... Um, a little sense that there might have been an ethical dimension to this um, uh, situation that had evolved. 
and certainly no mention of an, the other person who had now lost their coat. So I didn't really feel strongly judgmental of these people. It was mostly that I was just sitting there listening, but I certainly had the clear understanding that their speech was not very skillful. It was unskillful. And so it would eventually have poor, poor results for them in some way. So it's important maybe to realize uh, when we consider speech like this, that it's really only possible to speak like that if we are not being mindful at that moment. So this is something to bear in mind. We're gonna unfold this more as the talk goes on. So there are four forms of speech that the Buddha singled out as being harmful and unethical, unskillful. So these are speech that is false, speech that is divisive, speech that is abusive or harsh, and speech that's pointless. These are the four. And I think they're fairly clear, but we can, you know, we can mention just each one a little bit about how the Buddha described them. So we'll start with speech that is false, speaking falsehoods, knowingly saying things that we, that we know are not true. Uh, this is, it's sort of clear that this is harmful. And the Buddha likened this uh, actually to a witness lying in court. So somebody who is asked, maybe by a judge or by someone in a position of authority, if something is true and saying, no, it is not, or asking if it's false and saying, no, it is true. So, um, yeah. And then there's a divisive speech. So this is speech that's intended to divide people who are united or to further the divisions among those who are already at odds. And the Buddha stated explicitly that there are some people who love and rejoice in dissent, dissension. So this joy in friction and strife um, often comes from the conceit of feeling special or being part of a special group that tends to derive its identity by drawing sharp and disparaging lines between us and them. So even at the time of the Buddha, he had this clarity about why it is that people speak divisively, is that there can be a certain uh, unhealthy pleasure in it, uh, in creating division. And then there's abusive speech, with the, which the Buddha describes as being harsh, cutting, hurtful, offensive, connected with anger, and not leading to concentration. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That last one. We can get all the other ones as kind of synonyms. Um, but here the Buddha pointed out that uh, it's important to note that abusive or, or harsh speech uh, harms the one who speaks it in a very direct sort of internal way, such that it agitates and troubles the mind so that it can't settle and become concentrated. That was considered, he considered that important enough to mention in that list. So people who are unfamiliar with concentration, um, you know, probably wouldn't know. They don't understand that concentration is healing and nourishing and provides deep inner well-being. If you didn't know that, then abusive speech might be attractive, but um, you know, they maybe wouldn't realize that it's an obstacle to happiness. 
And then there's um, pointless speech, which is defined in the suttas as speaking at the wrong time, speaking of what is not real or of what is useless, contrary to the Dharma, worthless, unreasonable, immoderate, and unbeneficial. So that's quite a list. That one we might have to be a little careful of in our own speech. We may not always speak uh, in ways that are totally immoderate, that are totally moderate, for example, um, you know, exaggeration and um, other kinds of things where we get excited. So um, what is speech that is not real? That one is further unfolded as exaggeration, pointless commentary, and telling tales as if they are real. So I think it's okay to tell stories, but if we say that that's what we're doing. Uh, no. So on the one hand, I think if I tell you all of this, it's easy enough to listen to me and easily agree. Yes, those things are all ways that are unbeneficial, not ways that we would want to speak. But um, what's more powerful probably is to observe that kind of speech with mindfulness, because, you know, we can be honest and say that we are not always 100% out of those categories, are we? We um, do occasionally slip into speech that's like that. So watch what happens when you are speaking in ways like that. What we'll discover, I'm suggesting, but try it out, is that harmful speech is inherently stressful and it involves tension in the body and mind, some kind of agitation. We'll also see that harmful speech decreases our access to wisdom and clear thinking. And of course, externally, it socially alienates people. So that's a clear effect also. So mindfulness, as mindfulness begins to gr bring greater inner peace, we will see that the cost of unskillful speech is too high. You know, the perceived benefits are just not worth the cost of that kind of speech. And once we have a little bit of mindfulness, then we'll be able to observe ourselves speaking mindfully, and we will see further that a harmful or unethical speech undermines mindfulness, actually. So, so then we might start to ask, okay, why is it that we why do we speak in these ways? You know, why, why does this happen? Even when we don't necessarily intend, you know, we, we don't think that we're intending for that. So that's also a good thing to investigate with our mindfulness. Um, if you catch yourself leaning towards speaking in ways like this, we can, first of all, we can ask, okay, what is going on? Like, why why do I want to speak in that way? Why is my mind starting to go in that direction? So I think there probably would be lots of reasons um, for that, you know, multiple options there. But I will offer a common one, which is that often we have a background idea that speaking, you know, the point of speaking or what we're doing when we're speaking is to express our views and opinions. Now, that's often, that's one of the things that we do through our speech, as well as other things, but we often express our views or opinions, and we may feel that we're justified to say whatever we believe. If I believe it, why can't I say it? That's my view, that's my opinion. And so 
This, however, is itself a view. You know, it's a view to say that I should always be able to express my view. And so if we don't question that view and we just carry it all the time, then it's easy to ignore the impact that our words are having. Um, not to mention, of course, the impact that they have on ourselves. So we might need to be mindful of kind of one more layer down about whether or not at this moment, it's a good idea to express that view or opinion. And you know, even acknowledging that we have it, we might still choose not to express it. And so now I'm gonna move into a, a space where, um, you know, a point toward a space where you see this happening quite rampantly, which is social media and other forms of public discourse. So there's absolutely no question that we see the poor effects of unethical speech in these domains. This is from an essay um, by Gil Fransdahl. Some of the great conflicts in our society today are fought verbally, mostly unsuccessfully, in the arenas of everyday conversations, political speeches, TV, and on the web, social media, books, bumper stickers, clothing, and even hats. The degree of hostility and vilification with which opinions are spoken has become a prominent social poison creating so much divisiveness, discord, and ill will that factional strife is now highly prominent, such that important social issues are being eclipsed by the intensity of communication that is false, divisive, abusive, and pointless. Those are the four kinds of unskillful speech aimed at the end there. So, you know, what it boils down to is that the manner of speaking is so poor that there isn't any communication going on uh, in some ways. And, you know, we may not each individually, personally be doing this very much. I'm not trying to, you know, point the finger at this group necessarily, but, um, you know, if we look out there at the, the general arena, it can be a little bit disheartening, shall we say. And this isn't this is an area where I feel somewhat somewhat moved is that really, um, because I very much value dialogue and discourse, especially even with people that I don't agree with, because I learn so much when that conversation is conducted civilly and within these realms, it's actually really, really valuable. And that's also a pillar of our society and of democracy and of learning and being able to support each other. And so if that has deteriorated to the degree where that medium of communication isn't happening, um, that, that really uh, touches my heart, hits me in the heart. So the Buddha did also define four kinds of skillful speech, which not surprisingly are the opposite of the other four. So skillful speech is true, you know, at least to the degree that we know. Uh, it creates concord. So speech that reconciles those who are divided and speech that supports those who are already united. And so this is uh, speech that is um, the words of someone who, quote, loves concord, delights in concord, enjoys concord, and speaks things that create concord. Also, skillful speech is inoffensive. So the opposite of abusive or harsh. 
Um, you know, and again, it's to the degree that we, you know, that we're aware and able to do that in the moment. And then also fourthly, um, skillful speech is beneficial. So it's described as words worth treasuring and which are timely about what is real, beneficial, and concerned with the Dharma and an ethical life. It is spoken with clear explanations, delineations, and benefits. So I like very much that clarity is highlighted because that's another thing that we see. Um, we're able to communicate now so quickly, like we can fire off a text or an email moments after we receive the one that we're replying to. And the, the lack of clarity in some of what, I, what comes across my computer and devices is stunning. You know, and then another 10, even another 10 seconds would have um, allowed a phrase to be said more clearly or a word to be chosen that didn't have three different meanings and I don't know what it is. So um, clarity, and that just takes a little extra mindfulness. So it's, I think, clear enough that skillful speech is not compatible with and will even reduce greed and hatred, you know, two of the unskillful roots. But I think it's important also to relate ethical speech to non-delusion. And that happens uh, through its connection to mindfulness. So beneficial speech has the effect of nourishing mindfulness and harmful speech depletes mindfulness. So if you consider yourself to be someone who has a mindfulness practice, that's important in your life, uh, this is important because speaking well supports mindfulness and not speaking well is undermining your mindfulness. So in some ways I'm turning it around, um, but it's, you'll see that this is true if you start observing your speech. So, you know, when you're speaking well, it's easy to stay in attention. It's easy to be aware while you're speaking. It's easy to stay grounded in the body, to be relaxed, and to be focused on the person that you're speaking to. All of those things are quite easy when we're speaking in these four skillful ways. Whereas when we're speaking poorly, if we're speaking harshly or lying, or our vision literally gets occluded and the mind doesn't focus as well on the other person either when we're speaking harshly. So if we choose, uh, if we like having a life of mindfulness, we can choose speech that's supportive of that. So as I've been pointing to again and again, speech emerges from the mind. So I don't think it's an accident that in the Eightfold Path, wise speech, which is the third step, comes right after wise intention and wise view, the things associated with the mind, with wisdom. So the manifestations of our mind in the form of actions and speech and even thoughts, they emerge out of roots that are buried down um, quite deep in our mental processing. Now they come out of how our mind is. So these are the, you may have heard of the, uh, the three poisons, or in this case, I'm gonna call them the three roots. So there are three unwholesome roots of greed, hatred, and delusion. And there are three wholesome roots of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. And so um, it's worth learning to pay attention to kind of 
which side that we're, we're on. But I don't think you need to, in any, you know, as you're moving along in real time, you don't need to try to differentiate six different things. You just have to know wh which side you're on, <laughs> the unskillful roots or the skillful roots. That's good enough. Uh, and so then we just choose to act or speak as often as possible from the wholesome side. And doing so automatically will nourish the wholesome roots and denourish the unwholesome ones. So you get kind of two for one in, uh, in paying attention this way. So I have found it useful to frame the four skillful ways of speaking actually as aspirations that are based on the wholesome roots. So if you're someone who likes to make aspirations or speak um, intentions, say during your morning practice, um, here are some possibilities. Um, let's say it this way. The three wholesome roots manifest as truthful speech. I aspire to truthful speech. The three wholesome roots manifest as speaking words of concord. I aspire to speaking words of concord. The three wholesome roots manifest as speaking words from the heart. I aspire to speak words from the heart. The three wholesome roots manifest as speaking what is beneficial. I aspire to speak what is beneficial. So these four ways of speaking, these four skillful ways of speaking are part of a longer list that's called the 10 skillful actions. And it has um, three actions related to behavior, four related to speech and three related to mind. And these are the four speech ones. It's interesting that these 10 skillful actions are actually all over the suttas, although they're not talked about as often as say the precepts. Um, but I, um, they're actually, I think, maybe mentioned more often than the precepts and I recommend learning them. So these are the four speech ones and then uh, the three action ones are not killing, refraining from killing, refraining from taking what is not given and refraining from sexual misconduct. Those are of course uh, similar or the same as the precepts. And then the three related to mind are uh, to not have covetousness, not have ill will, and to have right view. It's an interesting set of 10. If we really did all of those completely, all the way to the end, they would take us all the way to liberation. So the connection between speech and mind can also be seen when we consider our inner speech. It's always one more useful dimension to look at as meditators. So very often the words that are running through our mind all day um, are coming from the various views that we have. You may notice this if you listen to the, the voice in your mind. So some of them are right views and some of them may not be. And so it's, um, it's useful to be watching in our minds uh, what is going through. And I've listed several things that, that, they, that it tends to be views is one, but also interpretations, opinions, and projections. Check how often the speech, the inner speech that you have, and sometimes it's just informational, like, oh, I should turn on the light. Okay. But often the sort of long discursive things going through our mind are views, interpretations, opinions, and projections. 
So we have this loudspeaker that announces what things mean, what's happening, what we need to do next, what we ought to do in order for this to work out, etc. If somebody was standing next to us, telling all of this while we were going through our day, we would, we would knock them out of the way if somebody else were talking into our ear with all that stuff that we have to listen to. So it is worth applying these principles of inner speech, these principles of wise speech, if you will, to our inner speech also. We can check, is this true? Is this productive of concord? Is this inoffensive? And is this beneficial? Or conversely, is it false? Is it divisive? Is it abusive or harsh in some way? Or is it pointless? How much of it is that? So just sort of, again, noticing which side of the roots we're on, the wholesome or the unwholesome ones. And then we can choose. Um, it doesn't mean we can stop it from happening, of course, but uh, at least not at first, but we can at least choose whether or not we give it any credence, you know, whether or not we uh, endorse what's, what's being said by our habitual inner speech. So we, and we don't, of course, we're not doing this for any reason like we should, or, you know, we, we need to in some way, but simply out of, out of care for our well-being. You know, we, we care about what we have to listen to all day. So that inner voice uh, matters too. We can see the costs versus the benefits of uh, this kind of inner speech and uh, make a choice that would be, would be healthy for us. So how do we transform inner speech? You know, in case we notice that there's some of these patterns that aren't so helpful, um, what, what are some things that we might do? One effective way is, um, as I said, simply not to give credence to the thoughts that are unskillful. So we have to be a little careful. It's a sort of subtle. We don't want to start arguing with them and say, that's not skillful. Don't be saying that, mind, because then we're, you know, creating, creating some discord with, with those voices, and we're also um, acting upon a version out of them, which tends to actually subtly reinforce them. So we don't want to argue with them or tell them that they're wrong, um, but it's really a more subtle act of, you know, letting them, they've arisen, so we can let them pass. I'm not saying this is easy, um, but that's uh, one way not to subtly give them energy. Of course, there, uh, there are other ways also. Um, sometimes we can actively say something that is more beneficial, you know, in the same way that if a child is saying something that's not helpful, we might say, oh, but what about, or let's say it this way. So, you know, we can subtly um, redirect the mind. That's also a possibility. But I want to speak also just to tell kind of a, an example um, of someone who was working with her inner speech and someone that I spoke with um, at one point. And just to kind of give a flavor of how um, the process might go in working with, um, with, an inner, with inner speech. So I was talking with someone at, at a time when she was just discovering a layer of views in her mind that she wasn't aware of, a lot of our views are unseen. And so, you know, we, they're just, we just, 
they're just normal. We just think it's how things are and we don't realize that it's actually a view. So um, we have a lot of multiple layers of this. We'll have to go through this a number of times. Um, these thoughts are not so innocent, actually. They serve as lenses that affect actually what we perceive as well as, of course, bringing direct results in the form of happiness or, or stress internally. So it's a wonderful kind of mind practice aspect of mindfulness, let's say, that our views are gonna be revealed to us even though we're not always happy <laughs> that they are. So the particular uh, views that were coming forth for this person I was talking with uh, were about anxiety and fear of things that might happen just in case any of you are having similar, um, have had similar situations in your mind. Um, what happened was that she, for a long time, she just experienced this, you know, the sort of the anxiety and this, the fear and the sense of impending doom. And she assumed it was normal. Um, she had the idea that if you find out that something bad might happen, you need to worry about that. That, that was not seen as a view. So she had the idea if there's something bad that might happen, um, she needed to worry about that. She believed the voice that told her that. And then one day she had the wonderful thought, is that actually true? <laughs> is that actually true? Because here's an inner voice and we have to check, is it uh, following the, the unskillful speech or the skillful speech, right? And remember that unskillful includes not true. So she, um, she started to investigate, well, is that view really true? Like if, you know, this worry would come in and then she would look more carefully. And there was that subtle idea that said, if there's something that might go wrong, you need to worry about it. And she looked at right at that and said, are you true? Is that actually true? And she discovered um, that she suddenly found there were other thoughts attached to that view. Um, here's one that she said specifically, you can only stop feeling fear when you are completely safe. Now, that was an interesting one. She was not even aware that that thought was there. So that's another view. You can only stop feeling fear when you are completely safe. Is that true? Wow, that's a pretty high bar, actually, or something. So that's another one. So then um, when she got to that one, she was able to feel the fear literally in her body. When she was just up at the level of her head and kind of her anxiety and her thoughts about this and that, she wasn't that connected to the body. Or maybe if I had asked her, she would have said, oh, it feels agitated or something. But when she got to the fear, then she could really feel that very directly. It was very clear. And she found that there was a feeling, not only of fear, but a sense of impending disintegration. That's really important because these patterns in our mind, these views uh, defend themselves. They don't like to be seen really clearly and seen through. And there's, they will defend themselves by making it feel like you're about to die if you, if you see them too carefully. And so as she started to look into just these simple things, ideas like you need to worry about things, you can only stop feeling fear if you're completely, totally safe, etc. Um, she had this feeling of disintegration. Now she had enough mindfulness that she just sat through it and she started to feel the 
kind of the tendrils of these views start to dissipate. That doesn't mean that they were completely gone, but that's kind of the beginning of the end when you can sit through that feeling and start to feel them um, loosen, shall we say. Once a pattern is seen through like that, it will either not persist or at least not have as much impact until it doesn't have any impact. So I just wanted to talk you through that. It might be more detailed than some of you have pursued through mindfulness of views, um, but this is kind of how it can go, kind of how the process can go. So seeing the views that you didn't know were there, actually seeing them in words. And then when, you, when they actually get expressed in words, you can look at that statement and say, is that true? Is that beneficial? <laughs> is it a tale about something that's being presented as reality? when it's not. So start, start applying those principles of skillful speech to it. You might have a, you know, sort of a difficult period where it defends itself and, and you think you'll die if you don't keep going with that view. And then, then you can start to get past it. So this is a process. So this is one way to begin changing inner speech. Now, doing that, changing inner speech, will begin to change our outer speech also. If we start finding that those views are not able to just automatically exert their influence again and again, um, we'll have more freedom in how we express ourselves externally also. We won't maybe also need to uh, unquestionably express all of our views and opinions automatically, thereby reducing our offensiveness and harshness and divisiveness in the way that we speak. So I think if we do this process, even just with one layer of views of the mind, it would be much harder to speak the way the people at the bus stop were speaking, um, which was really quite unmindful not to mention the ways that people are conducting themselves on social media and, and other such areas of the public discourse. So I very much hope that um, we can start to use the techniques of mindfulness to bring in this investigation of whether or not the inner speech and of course the outer speech are conforming to these ideas that the Buddha, you know, these principles that the Buddha laid out for what is coming from the skillful roots and what's coming from the unskillful roots. It's really um, kind of nitty gritty and practical, um, but very, very worthwhile and would be such a balm and such a help to our world, uh, the way that we communicate these days. I want to finish with a, a quote from Martin Luther King. We must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Love being one of the skillful roots. So please consider this you know, as you consider your speech internally and externally, just having that, that sense of which, where we're coming from in that and, and recognizing that the, the skillful speech is compatible and supports in a nice supportive loop mindfulness itself. So this is really very much a part of our cultivation of mindfulness and, and wisdom and clarity. 
So thank you. Such an important topic for our world today. Thank you so much for being here tonight and I wish you very well in your, um, in your speech. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.